Uh, if you have your scripture with you, uh, open up to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right before the book of Acts. This morning we're going to be focusing on a very familiar passage uh, for many of us. Um, maybe for some it's going to be something new. But in John chapter 3, this is the passage focused on the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, to which we're given probably the most uh, well-known passages of Scripture in John 3.16. But we're going to spend two weeks in this conversation. This morning our focus is going to be on verse 1 through 15, which is the conversation. They have a dialogue with one another. The next week we're going to return and look at 16 through 21, which is more of a monologue of Jesus. This conversation is focused on spiritual rebirth or being born again, or as we're going to title the message this morning, being reborn. And in this conversation, Jesus is trying to illuminate to Nicodemus the need to be reborn. And he does this by sharing how an individual is reborn and the result of an individual being reborn. And so Jesus is trying to be as clear as possible, as we'll see here in a second, and meeting Nick where he is, but old Nick just can't seem to get his head around what Jesus is trying to tell him. And part of that is because of his background, not only as a Jew, but as a Pharisee. The doctrine of being reborn or being born again is sometimes called new birth. It speaks of a new beginning, of a decisive inner transformation of a person's life, involving cleansing and a new law being written on one's heart. Spiritual rebirth, or being born again, is the renewal of all things. The renewal of one's life, heart, mind, and soul. And so within our passage this morning, Jesus is trying to move Nicodemus from a literal, literal understanding of being born to a spiritual understanding of being born again. And as God's people, this doctrine is something we need to be familiar with and to be aware of because, one... If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you've been reborn, and we need to know what that means. But two, as a child of God, we are now an ambassador for Christ, to which our purpose is that others can be reborn through the message that we present in the gospel. So let's read it, and we'll walk through it this morning, beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So this first time we're introduced to Nicodemus here in chapter 3. We're told that he is a Pharisee, that he is a ruler of the Jews. Now in John's Gospel, uh, he singles out the Pharisees, Pharisees as the party that is most resistant to Jesus, but sometimes he just clumps them together as the leaders of the Jews. Nicodemus is said to be a leader within the, the, how, or the ruler of the Jews, and that means a leader of the Sanhedrin. That's comparable to our Supreme Court here in America today. The reference to Nick coming to Jesus at night makes many wonder, was he kind of ashamed or didn't want his other colleagues to know that he was going to meet with Jesus? And that's possible. But when we take John's Gospel, in John's Gospel, light and darkness play opposing forces. In the very opening of the Gospel, in chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, it says, In Him, speaking of Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John doesn't always mention the time of day within his Gospel. When he does, as you read through the Gospel of John, he always does it for a reason. He speaks of Nicodemus coming at night to let us know that though Nicodemus is a Pharisee and a religious leader, he is spiritually in a dark place. To be a ruler of the Jews meant that Nicodemus was well trained in the Old Testament. It means that when, when, he would be, when Jesus spoke of the Old Testament, Nicodemus should have been able to grasp the meaning but if we look through this passage, we see Jesus doing this numerous times throughout the conversation so that Nicodemus can understand the spiritual rebirth that he needed, but Nicodemus doesn't seem to grasp it. First off, the doctrine of being spiritually reborn is centered on creation talk, to which Nicodemus would have been fully aware. It, it speaks of how God created a new thing and how God wants to do a new creation within the individual. Paul understood this when he wrote to the believers in Corinth. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, and behold, the new has come. This concept would have taken Nicodemus back to the creation story, but also back to when God sent the flood over the face of the earth to rebirth creation or to start anew. When Jesus says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, Nicodemus should have had images of Ezekiel chapter 37 concerning the valley of dry bones. In verse 8, when Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, the passage from Ezekiel 36 should have come to mind when God promised that He would put a new spirit in man. Also the passage from Joel chapter 2, verse 28-32, through 32, when God said He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. But since Nicodemus wasn't catching these things that Jesus is, is giving to him, he wasn't making the connection. Jesus brings up a story in verse 14 from the book of Numbers chapter 21 concerning Moses and the serpent. He also uses the language at the end of verse 14 saying that he would be lifted up, which Nicodemus, being a Pharisee and a ruler in the synagogue, should have known Isaiah 52, 13, which says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, and he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. The point is, Jesus is using a common language for Nicodemus to come to a common ground so that Nicodemus can understand. And though Nick is a religious leader, he must be born again. But Nick can't make the connection. And nowhere in this passage is there a sign of his conversion. 
which lets us know that even when Jesus shared the gospel, not all people accepted the gospel message. So when we go out to preach the gospel and share the gospel, we can understand not all people are going to accept the message that we present, and that's okay. The problem Nicodemus is having is that everything that he grew up learning, everything that he had devoted his life to pursuing, had now been overridden by the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Nicodemus would have been an individual who lived righteously. He would have been a devout Jew living by the law of God. He lived under a checks and balances theology. But Jesus is wanting him to understand that even his most righteous acts are of the flesh, and so that he must be born again spiritually. The doctrine of spiritual rebirth has to begin with the understanding that all of our good acts, all of our righteous deeds are meaningless unless we have a faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul, who was also a Pharisee, came to this understanding as he wrote to the believers in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All of our good deeds, all of our good actions, all of the good things that we accomplish in life are meaningless eternally if we are not born again. Because all of them come from the flesh. And Jesus said in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now John uses the word flesh differently than the Apostle Paul uses the word flesh. John uses the word flesh to refer to the physical. The Apostle Paul uses the word flesh to refer to the sinful nature. We can connect the lines because our physical nature is sinful. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus that his physical acts of righteousness are only birthing physical things. And what Nicodemus needed was a change to be born again so he can produce spiritual things. But put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes for a moment. And we probably can understand why he struggles the way he does when Jesus tries to meet him where he is. Everything that Nicodemus had been doing to this point in his life had been rendered as a waste of time. And Nicodemus is starting to understand this when he asks Jesus in verse 9, how can these things be? He's asking emphatically. He's almost insulted at what Jesus is presenting to him. But if you were Nicodemus, let's say someone you respect, comes to you and tells you everything you've accomplished in life, everything you were pursuing in life, everything that you longed to be in life was meaningless. You would probably struggle too. But this is the reality that Nicodemus is having to come to. This is the truth that Jesus is trying to bring Nicodemus to understand, that without Christ, all we accomplish, all we pursue, all that we long to do is meaningless, because without Christ, we're missing the most important thing in life. Another issue Nicodemus is having is he's trying to keep things in a general conversation when spiritual rebirth is personal. Look there in verse 2. He comes to Jesus and he gives him a nice little uh, formality. He says, Rabbi, which means teacher, we, and when he says we, he's speaking of himself and at least some of his Pharisee colleagues, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless that you do unless God is with them. The we is Nicodemus confessing at least some of his colleagues understand that Jesus is different. And yet, he's clumping them all together, to which that's how the chapter 2 of John ends, is these people being clumped together with an 
an inauthentic faith. They believed Jesus was from God and that God was with him, but they did not believe Jesus was the Son of God or the Christ. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus is not going to let Nicodemus keep this conversation in general terms. He's going to make it very personal because being reborn is a personal matter. Salvation is personal, and it needs to be expressed in such a way that it is a personal decision of an individual to accept Christ. In verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you. And that you in the Greek in verse 3 is singular. Jesus is not going to let Nicodemus hide within his crowd of Pharisees, but he's going to bring him out and let him understand that salvation is a personal decision that Nicodemus has to make for himself. And so he has to understand. And so we take uh, the, the plan of Jesus here. When we're sharing the gospel, it begins by finding a common ground with people. We engage in conversation. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about politics. You can talk about sports. Whatever you want to talk about, we have that common ground based. And then in that, in that conversation, we move it to the cross. This is what Jesus does. He takes a personal conversation and he moves it to the cross because he wants Nicodemus to make a personal expression of faith. Christ is inviting him to accept him for who he is. Notice how Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says that we know. He claims to have this knowledge of something, but throughout the conversation it becomes very clear that what Nicodemus knows doesn't matter compared to what he doesn't know. And only at the near end of this conversation does Jesus turn back to Nicodemus and his group. If you jump down to verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Here he's condemning Nicodemus for not being able to connect the dots of the Old Testament to what Jesus is presenting in the New Covenant. Then in verse 11 he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you, and this you in verse 11, is in the plural. So he's saying, you people, or you Pharisee party, you do not receive our testimony. See, Nicodemus is claiming to believe one thing or understand one thing, and then Jesus reveals that he knows nothing. And Jesus truly knows who Nick is. He knows who his colleagues are because Jesus knew what was in man. John's gospel is centered around knowing the truth of who Jesus is. But truth is not just head knowledge. Rather, truth is knowing and understanding in such a way that it changes the individual. The Bible teaches us that hearing the truth, understanding the truth, and then applying the truth is the evidence and, in fact, knowing the truth. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, us being born again, is meant to change us, not just eternally, but here in the physical. This conversation is so Nicodemus can understand the concept of being born again, which he fails to grasp. This isn't the last time that Nicodemus is going to have an interaction with Jesus. He's going to speak up for him on one account. And at the end of the Gospel, we find him at the tomb of Jesus, preparing the body for burial. So though Nicodemus doesn't seem to grasp the meaning of this conversation, what Jesus does is he plants the seeds of the Gospel into his heart so that he can become a follower of Christ, even if it's at a distance. And this is something we need to understand when we're preaching the Gospel, when we're in that conversation. Just because someone does not come to a conversion moment 
they don't accept Jesus Christ in that conversation doesn't mean we failed. We plant seeds of the gospel and then allow the Spirit to water it. We, we throw the seeds and then God waters it. Nicodemus doesn't come to the understanding in this conversation, but as he watched Jesus in the next couple years, he came to understand what Jesus was talking about being born again. There's something in his own life which needed to change. And that's what we do. We preach the gospel. We keep throwing seeds out. We engage in conversation, and then we just hand it over to God. If they accept Christ in that conversation, praise the Lord. But we know we've been faithful to what God has commissioned and empowered us to do. And we just keep praying that other individuals will come in their life and plant more seeds. And eventually maybe they'll come back and they'll ask us, remember that conversation? I've had numerous conversations with people I've gone to high school with about the gospel ever since I got right with God again. And I would touch base with them over periods of time to see where they were. There are several of my friends, because I threw out the seeds, even though there were times they would, you know, say not nice things back to me. I would throw out the seeds, and several of them have now come to know the Lord. They go on mission trips. They work in their church with a youth group. They, they sponsor children around the world so they can understand the gospel. But it's frustrating when you present something that is of a loving message and people don't accept it. I understand that completely. But that doesn't let us off the hook from continuing to present it. We just give it to God. We let people know that God loves them and we love them. That's why we're sharing about Jesus Christ. But in this conversation, even though Nicodemus doesn't grasp what Jesus is presenting, that's something we can't leave today like Nicodemus. The first thing Jesus points out is a reason to be born again. We are reborn to see the kingdom. Jesus says this twice in two different ways. In verse 3, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then again in verse 5, He says, Truly, truly. And truly, truly means verily. It can be read as amen. It's a, a, a sign of authority. a sign of truth. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Both imply the same outcome of being reborn is to experience God's kingdom. In Scripture, the kingdom of God refers to the sovereignty of God. If you've been on Wednesday night Bible studies, then you know that the sovereignty of God means God's authority over all things, all people, all nations, all governments. But the kingdom of God also refers to eternal life in heaven, to which Jesus points out in verse 15, whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. As Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about being reborn, He speaks of two types of births, one of the flesh and one of the Spirit. Every individual, everyone here, has been born of the flesh. Don't believe me? Just pinch yourself or the person next to you. You have flesh. You have a physical nature. But that flesh, that physical nature, is corrupted by sin. And the Bible says that if we die while we are still in the flesh or in our sin, we will be cut off from the kingdom of God. We will not see it and we will not enter it. As for Nicodemus, he would have been a very good guy. He would have been thought highly of in his society by the Jewish people. To be a ruler of the Jews meant that his own colleagues thought highly of him. He would have been thought to be someone who did good things. He lived a good life. Other religious leaders thought, probably thought he was a good person. 
Yet in this conversation, Jesus points out that everything good about him is meaningless unless he's born again because everything he's doing is from the flesh. And there must be a change. Nicodemus, the righteous Pharisee, needed a Savior. That's what Jesus is trying to get him to understand. He needed Jesus Christ to be a Savior. And this is why we share the gospel with people. Because Jesus Christ is the only way to which someone can experience the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the only way into God's kingdom, only way into heaven. And so we engage in conversation and we take notes from Jesus. Find a common ground or interest and engage in that conversation and then move it to the cross. Talk about the weather, talk about the government, talk about sports, talk about whatever, but make sure that conversation gets to the cross because we are about eternal matters. That's the only thing that's going to change this world. That's the only thing that's going to change this nation. That's the only thing that's going to change politicians. Is that they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and that becomes a spiritual change. Nicodemus wants to begin with these pleasantries, calling Jesus a rabbi or teacher. And how he and his colleagues have come to understand a little bit about Jesus. Oh, we know you're from God because no one could do what you do if you weren't from God. But you know what Jesus does? He just right to the point. After the pleasantry, Jesus just comes straight out. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because Jesus knows what's at stake. He knows what Nicodemus needs most. Scripture says that Nicodemus came to Jesus, but the reality is, by what Jesus was doing, Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. And this is what God does. God draws people to Himself. And you know how He does it? Through us. As His representatives, as His ambassadors, God has drawn people into your life. And you may think it's because that's where you work, or they just or a good friend, or even a family member. But the reality is God has put those people in your life so you might engage with them in the conversation of the gospel. God wants to use you to represent Jesus Christ to those people. Students, you have the athletic ability or the uh, theatrical ability or the band ability because God has given you that so that you can be a light and salt in that arena. It's so that you may proclaim the greatness of God. The educations, the desires we have as adults, those are what God has given us so He can place us in arena so we can proclaim the excellencies of God so that people around us might understand who Jesus is so they can be born again. Nicodemus was beginning to understand this, but he could not get past what he already knew and what he had learned. So, Jesus teaches them and teaches us that we can only be reborn by the Spirit. This would have gone against everything Nicodemus had done. He was a Pharisee. He had a set list that if I do this and do this, it's righteous, and that I am righteous before God. But Jesus comes to him and says that you can do all of that. It's only by the flesh, but you can only be reborn by the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit. And Jesus uses the metaphor, verse 8, of the wind so that Nicodemus can try to wrap his head around this eternal truth. The uses of water and spirit in verse 5 has led many to wonder that is Jesus speaking of baptism like John's baptism of repentance, and that's possible. But in the context of this conversation, okay, 
See if you're still with me. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which would make him what type of people group? Jewish. Okay, so in the context of a Jewish individual, the water and spirit would have been something familiar because they related to themes of life. The Jewish people were agriculturalists. They were heavily reliant upon the water to do their crops. You know, they didn't have a hose. They didn't have anything like that. So they relied upon God. They had to trust that God would provide the water so the crops would grow. The word spirit can also be read as breath. And we've been reminded in Nicodemus, not only the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37, but also how God breathed the breath of life into Adam. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, for him to have life, for him to enter the kingdom of God, he must receive it from the giver of life. In other words, it's not something Nicodemus can work for or earn. It is God's gift. But this is something Nicodemus, this is completely new to him. Because it goes against everything that he had lived for. And to hammer down this truth, he uses this illustration in verse 8, concerning the wind. The meaning is that people can see the effects of the wind. They can feel the wind. Even if they don't know where the wind came from or where the wind's final destination is. They experience it, though there's no pattern on how it works. D.A. Carson writes, The point is that the wind can neither be controlled nor understood by human beings. Remember, of course, that this was written before modern meteorology alleviated at least some of our lack of understanding. But that does not mean we cannot cannot detect the wind's effects. We hear its sound. We watch the swaying grasses. We see the clouds scudding by. We hide in fear before the worst windstorms. We even curl up if you were out on Friday night because you were freezing because of the wind. Carson goes on, it is so with the Spirit. We can neither control the Spirit nor fully understand the Spirit. But that does not mean we cannot witness the Spirit's effect. Where the Spirit works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. But Nicodemus was trained and lived a life where he could control things. Where he could control things through the law of God. And when it came to being born again, Nicodemus was not in control. He had to be completely reliant upon the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit. He had to submit. And again, so when we preach the gospel, it's not about our words that we say. I know a lot of people don't share the gospel because, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't know enough about the Bible. But the scripture reveals that God gave us his spirit to empower us. And so it's not the words that we use, but it's our submission to the spirit of God and the work of the spirit appealing through us to people. To wrap up this dialogue, because in verse 16 it becomes a monologue with just Jesus, he points out one more, and that's the purpose of being reborn. We are reborn into life. He does this, and I hope in trying to get Nicodemus to understand it, in verse 14 by pointing to a story Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. Verse 14 says, And Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This Verse is referring to an event in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Moses is leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. And as he's leading them, they keep complaining. 
They complain about a lack of food. Then they complain about a type of food. Then they complain about a lack of water. Then they complain that it would have been much better if they just stayed in Egypt. But we've got to keep in mind, while they were in Egypt, they were complaining how bad Egypt was. And so it's just a group of complainers, which eventually drives Moses mad. But anyway, they're, they're complaining about what God has provided for them, and God takes it as profaning His name, His holy name. So He sends serpents into the camp to start biting people. Seems fair, right? Well, the people stop complaining, and they go to Moses and ask Moses to start praying for God to take away the serpents. And what do you think God does? He doesn't take away the serpents. He tells Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get a bronze serpent. You're going to stick it on a pole in the middle of the camp. And when people are bit, if they would just look to the serpent, then they would live. And so they started doing it. Those who looked to the serpent would live. They wouldn't die of the venom. The story, Jesus does this. He, he's, he's very intentional because he wants Nicodemus to, to know the story, which he would have. I mean, it would have been a bedtime story. This was not the bedtime story he told you little Jewish kids when they went to bed. Okay, so there was a time when serpents came into the living quarters, started biting people, and they died. Good night, sweetie. They didn't do that. But he would have known from Numbers 21, okay, they had to look up in faith. And Jesus is saying, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so God is going to lift up the Son of Man. And the passage lifted up from Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant. He's trying to connect all these dots so Nicodemus can understand. Except instead of looking to the Son of Man who's lifted up, it's not going to be living longer on this earth, but now you're going to be giving eternal life. But again, there's nowhere in this passage to which says Nicodemus came to that conclusion, or understood or accepted it. But you know, when we think of eternal life there in verse 15, what kind of things come to your mind when you think of eternal life? Heaven, I'm in heaven. That's an old one too. But anything else? Forever? Forever, ever, ever. Forever, ever? Did you get that reference, Charlie? Okay. <laughs> Anything else? No pain? Heaven. Gold streets. Buffet tables with the best fried fish you've ever had. What? No more separation? Big houses? Lots of love? Presence of God. The accurate translation of verse 15, and it's a subtle difference, but it's an incredible one, is that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Not may. I mean, it's not like, did I get it or not? But you will have eternal life. And though that may not sound that much different, the meaning is, is when we are saved, when we are born again, God doesn't leave us here waiting to go home to heaven to eternal life. But when we are saved, we are living the eternal life now. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you 
as an inheritance that will not fade and cannot be taken away. You have the eternal nature of God dwelling inside. You are the temple of God. You are an eternal being because you're spiritual now. Not by anything you have done or I have done or we could ever do, but because of God's great love and mercy. And since we are living the eternal life now, even though it's in this world, it's our goal to take as many people with us into eternity. And they can only know about eternal life and being reborn if we're preaching the gospel. If we're talking about Jesus. If we're sharing about how much He means to us. This is why we gather on Sunday mornings. This is why we come to church. This is why we do ministries. We don't do these things to fill our calendars. Lord knows many of you are crazy busy. We do this because we want people to enter into eternal life. That's our whole goal. To proclaim Jesus and God's love so they can accept it. And even if they don't accept it in that moment, we will continue to proclaim and to preach Jesus. So hopefully, like Nicodemus, they'll eventually come to a place where they understand who Jesus truly is and why they need Him. And so this brings us to what the gospel message is about and how we can be born again. The gospel message from Genesis to Revelation is this. God created you to be in a relationship with Him. That is why you were created. That is why you breathe in this moment. That is why the people around you in your life are alive. Is because they were created to be in a relationship with God. But the problem is... A lot of people still live in the physical, meaning they live in the sinful. And the sinful nature separates us from the God who loves us and created us. And so we, we try to be like Nicodemus. Well, I'll just do enough good things. I'll just make sure I'm a good person. I'll live a good life. I'll, I'll do good deeds. But the problem that Nicodemus had to understand, that maybe you need to understand in this moment, you cannot do enough good things to earn eternal life. You can't. But that's why Jesus Christ came. He died in our place, taking the wrath of God, taking our judgment upon Himself. They placed Him in the tomb and He rose three days later so that we might be given the gift of eternal life and forgiven past, present, and future. This is the gospel. And all we have to do is believe that this is truth and that God loves us that, that much. We don't have to understand everything that's in this book. But we have to understand the important thing. God wants us in a relationship, and that relationship can only begin by accepting the gift of God's love through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask Mike and Charlie to come on down, and they're going to be standing on each side. And you just need to come and say, I want to be saved. I want to have eternal life. I want to know if I die, I'm going to heaven. And they're going to pray with you and celebrate with you. But maybe you're here... And there are people in your life that they're in your life so that you can present the gospel to them. And you haven't been faithful doing that. Maybe you just need to kneel where you are instead of standing and just pray for those people by name. Pray for God to open your eyes to see the door He has opened for you to present the gospel message. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask Mike and Charlie to come. And we're going to sing a song of invitation. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for your gift of grace. Thank you that it's not by anything we have done or could ever do, 
but simply because you loved us first. Thank you that you've changed our identity. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that has not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, has not made that personal decision, that even now in this moment, your Spirit would take your word and continue to speak to their heart, that they would have the courage to walk down and let it be known they want to be saved. For my brothers and sisters in Christ here, Lord, open our eyes to see the people you've placed in our life that we might share the gospel to. Maybe peers, co-workers, family, neighbors. But Lord, let us be the ambassadors you've empowered us to be. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the good work you're doing. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. Praise all in the name of Jesus.